I'm just pretending. <laughs> buenas, buenas, and half a day. Welcome to Fanatu, um, Independent Guan's official podcast and the official podcast of the world. We are here. We are live. <laughs> and today we have a um, special guest um, to talk about <clears throat> the Fanogi March on September second. Ariel Thomas Mitchell. Yes. And Professor, or not Professor, Elisa Santos. Thank you for joining us. And um, yeah, so there was a press conference yesterday to promote the march on September 2nd. I'll say that over and over again. And um, how was it? Um, the press conference was, was, was my first um, experience like that, but um, I just, I'm really uh, proud of everybody who came out and who worked uh, together, you know, to discuss some of the talking points and to share their personal thoughts. So uh, yesterday went pretty smoothly. Yeah, and if you're, in a cave somewhere and you haven't heard about it. <laughs> Sorry, there is, we are holding a, a march for Chamol's self-determination on September 2nd. Um, we'll have a pre-rally there starting at eight o'clock and then um, we'll march um, at nine o'clock sharp um, from Adelup to the district court. And then we'll have a post-rally after we get back. And um, it's really exciting trying to build a momentum um, for people to attend this march. And um, yeah, I was there yesterday too. I was a spokesperson for uh, promoting the march. And um, yeah, you know, we just want to emphasize that it's, you know, really, a, it's a, it's a com community effort. And, uh, we're trying to relay the sentiments of the community and um, <clears throat> wanting to continue to push for Trimble's self-determination. And, um, you know, we stress that it is not, you know, not just a, a Chamorro responsibility, but we're hoping that everybody else on the island will feel the responsibility to support this and to, you know, give us a better chance at changing our future here on Guam. And, um, Ariel. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I agree with everything you said. Yeah, this March on September 2nd, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a solidarity march just to get everyone in the community together. Um, to push for tomorrow's self-determination. Um, it's a very important issue. Um, as we've seen through the media, there's, uh, with the Davis case, I feel like it's kind of rekindled a fire and a discussion on this topic. And this march is pretty much just to um, solidify the community and to get everyone out there. And for those who don't maybe not have the knowledge, they can come out and learn, um, meet new people. Um, the march is gonna be attended by people from various backgrounds um, and ethnicities, not just Chamorros. Um, we got people from academia, um, the various islands, community Scientists. leaders, cultural groups. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good a good way to uh, unify the community uh, under this uh, one umbrella. Yeah, great. This is, um, we've had several planning meetings so far. Um, we're going to have our next planning meeting next Tuesday, um, August 20th at, at 5.30 at the uh, HSS uh, Humanities and Social Sciences building here at UOG, um, room 306. So, you know, we'd love to have you. Something that I think we want to continue to emphasize is it's not just that we're asking um, you know, people in the community to come out to this event and, and we're trying to show diversity, but, but to also emphasize that the planning committee itself or the planning group is very diverse um, and so yeah please please join us um, and if you feel like it's just a tomorrow event or you're not welcome or you're not as familiar with self-determination history this is the place to come and to learn and uh, to get updated 
Yeah, no, it's um, just thinking about it too, and like how, you know, recently in the media, there's been so much, so many sentiments expressed, and so many issues that you know, like, kind of divide us as a community, and you know, just thinking about it now that you know, this may be one <clears throat> of the things that can bring our community together, so that we can better understand each other, and um, you know, can um. Dismiss the fact that Chamorro self-determination, you know, is it's been going on. You know, the fight for it has been going on forever. It seems, you know, as long as um, Chamorros have been invaded or conquered by whoever it was that did it, and um, we've always pushed for this, and um, and we're pushing really hard this time, and we hope that we can get um, as many people out there as possible. Right. It'd be great to see so many people um, united in, you know on one front for in the support of this. And it's really one of the most important issues that we've ever faced, you know, in my mind. And um, I'm great, to, you know, happy to be a part of it and happy that I'm surrounded by so many other great people um, being a part of that also. And um, yeah, I just want to say go. that in terms of uh, the self-determination, I feel like it is a very important issue and um, it doesn't just affect Chamorros. Um, we need to look at it from a broader level. Um, Self-determination and decolonization will improve the capacity for the other islands to work together um, on certain issues such as climate change, one of the biggest issues that affects all of us. So mm -hmm. this isn't just a march for the people that are around now. This is this is really something for the future generations. For sure. I think that's the way you should look at it. Um, so. Yeah, we'll, no. If you, if you have a stake in the community, I think it's really important to come out, um, if not for yourself, then for your future descendants. Because the way I see it is, if if the status quo remains the way it is, we're going to continue to see the United States um, assert their unilateral authority, as we've seen in this last year, in terms of uh, land protection, um, environmental protection, all the things that us as islanders value, um, our land, our sea, um, working together, helping each other. That's kind of what all of, that's the bridge between all of our cultures. And uh, I think this march symbolizes that. So it's a good, it's a good uh, thing yeah. to have for all of it. All of us living here on Guam, you know. Um, and I think, you know, it's good to just take a moment to and acknowledge uh, the non-indigenous supporters of our movement. Right, and those right. you know, who continue to do work to bring awareness to this issue and this event, um, and some who are not even on island, right, but are still helping in some way in the planning process. Uh, we have members of the Filipino community who are writing letters of support, um, pointing to you know, parallels between um, our colonial history and, and theirs, and and also this uh, history of, of solidarity between our two groups that, are, that isn't really discussed as much. Um, we have, um, what, I'm, what I'm aware of, we have some uh, Palawan students who are conducting surveys uh, within their community to see how, um, much, uh, how informed their community members are or what self-determination, tomorrow self-determination means to them, uh, for them, um, what it means to be a Palawan right, from an independent nation but also a resident of Guam, right, where tomorrow's self-determination is denied. So, you know, if you might be seeing um, tomorrow faces sort of in media or circulated news, 
students. Um, there are others who may not be in front of the camera, but are certainly doing very important groundwork. Mm, that's really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I'm glad you reminded me also about that, um, you know, like, you know, possible end goals and, you know, the benefits right, of, right. you know, you know, self, not just self-determination, but also maybe, you know, independence specifically. But, um, yeah, no, just the, the thought of galvanizing uh, the greater Micronesia, you know, into right. some kind of alliance and, like, how beneficial that would be to us in this, you know, specific part of the world mm -hmm. to have, you know, that whole area, you know, like, um... I'm not going to say under our control, but as, you know, to be like a united, united stewards of that area. And, you know, you know, we could talk about e economic implications of that or. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of um, uh, non-governmental -gov or organizations in the, in Micronesia and in the Pacific that Guam cannot be a part of because of its right. political status. You know what I'm saying? So if they were to reach a level of decolonization, they could uh, pursue work with the other island nations in combating climate change, ensuring the sustainability of resources, um, all, the, all of those, all of the trappings of sovereignty, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, sorry to Yeah, no, no, for sure. Things that we just don't have here, you know, mm -hmm. you know one of the biggest um, issues of, um, <clears throat> of being a colony, right, is that we cannot have any international relations, and if, you know, and of course, people are going to think, you know, like we're so dependent on, you know, on one nation, on our administrators, if we have no ability to interact with anybody else, especially, you know, our neighbors, you know, right, right. right next door to us. We cannot have some kind of mutual beneficial relationship, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we're stuck in right now. And, you know, that's also what this march is about, you know, it's um, determining whether or not we want something better. Mm -hmm. And yeah. It does, it does seem like, I mean, as far as some of our elected officials, whenever they're in communication with um, leaders of other islands, it's usually about topics of sustainability and, you know, we, um, certain things like that. But, but the topic of self-determination, I think, isn't discussed as much. It's more so, yeah, climate change and environmental issues among other, you know, political um, topics, but, but not necessarily self-determination, so yeah. I find that quite interesting. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. We, we, um, we um, you know, identify so many problems, you know, that we have here, you know, regarding the environment. They're all, they're all real problems, and, you know, and, um, but we always seem to disregard or blow past the elephant in the room, which is, you know, mm -hmm. self-determination, and that we really don't have the full power to enact any kind of protections against, you know, the harm of our island, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the caveat. It's um, based on my experience here. Well, growing up in Palau, I never had to, to wrestle with the idea of um, self-determination stuff because that, that process happened way before my time. Mm -hmm. But when I came here and started learning at the university and discussing with people and seeing the ills that colonization imposed here, it, it's it's... The only remedy to everything is decolonization. It needs to happen in order for all of the things that people are, um, that are bothering people, such as the cultural degradation, the mm -hmm. environmental degradation, the, all of that. The only remedy is to have decolonization. That's just my thought on it. Because in Palau, we have 
the ability, like you said, to enact policies that um, help us preserve our culture and our land and our waters. So that's my thought on that. That's something yeah, that I think it's extremely fascinating to study in other islands, land like history, land tenure, and the protections that um, that these other island nations have uh, for such valuable resources right, and how they're protected in the Constitution and other sort of legal instruments. Um, I just really appreciate your comment because it's something that, um, sorry, thank you, uh, something that I've, I hear a lot from my, 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 my Palawan students. It's, it's this past semester, um, I taught such a C and it's, for me as a Chamorro person to, to see their reactions to the topic of self-determination, um, you know, they're, they're very, they're bothered by it. They're very it unsettled and it's, it's almost like their reaction is like, why are we not, why are we not doing more or why, it, it sometimes appears like it's so simple, you know, like to just, mm -hmm. to think this one way about the environment, you, you would think it's, you know, it's that simple, but, but they also articulate, but now we kind of understand after learning, you know, the history of Guam and, and its, it's, its colonial history, why it can be so messy. Yes. And then for them to also be, and to self-reflect and to say, you know, we came here maybe with certain views about the island or, um, and maybe making comparisons right back home. But, but, you know, now that we kind of understand sometimes the... Uh, things are more yeah, complicated. The, yeah, things are much more complicated. Feeling when I came, because I really didn't know much about Guam history. I just knew that it was a part of the United States. I didn't know that there was this long-standing. Uh, well, I knew that it's a territory, but I didn't know that there was a lot of uh, pain involved with the struggle that Guam has gone through up until now. So it was kind of eye-opening. Yeah, like you said, it's it's not as easy as um, an issue as maybe other people view it, I guess. Outside, people look from the outside looking in. It's not, yeah. It's really been an educational experience for me, having conversations with my students from other islands, because I get to, I get to learn um, where they come from, and, and, and again, about those protections. And so the conversations have been ongoing and are really great. I hope they can continue, and I'm excited to see what comes out of like that survey right. project I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, man. Even from like just the perspective from the inside, looking in, you know, it's um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint. You know, you grow up, you know, I only learned about this stuff like maybe four years ago when I started school. But, you know, since we're young, though, you know, we always had a feeling, you know, something kind of sucks here. You can't pinpoint what it is, but why does life seem so much better <laughs> in other places? And why does it seem like such a struggle here? And, you know, my first thought is, you know, uh, we just suck or like our, gov you know, our government just sucks. Or things just suck for Guam. That's how it is. But no, nah, like, you know, after learning history and learning, you know, just the evolution of, you know, how Chamorros have been treated here and also in, you know, many places around the world, you know, we didn't learn about those things, but then seeing it here and then seeing ourselves in this history and now being able to pinpoint some of the things that, you know, have caused the social ills today or just any other, you know, or other struggles, you know, and there's struggles everywhere, but, you know, that's it's a little harder on Guam than it is in the rest of the United States. And Your response is definitely a pattern I see among mm -hmm. students, um, you know, again, they have something I mentioned yesterday at the press conference is that 
there's a pattern, right? And then many times they have very little exposure to um, the history of Guam's political developments or more recent like, grassroots movements. And so by the time they get to the college level, um, they don't know, they, they have very limited uh, knowledge of self-determination or are hearing it for the first time, right? So it's like crash course, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it is overwhelming um, for both indigenous students and non-indigenous students. And so I guess, you know, that's just something that I feel we need to tackle in the classroom. And if we're not providing um, that, that knowledge of the history early on, you know, what, what can we do more uh, to, to allow for that, I guess? Yeah, for sure. And imagine, you know, I was listening to um, Fernando Estevez, you know, sorry, did a name drop, it's a positive name drop. <laughs> but no, talking about like, um, um, political status education, you know, and, you know, and also talk about, you know, like um, decolonized histories starting from the beginning, you know, starting from the beginning, you know, uh, children go to school and then spend the next 12 years, years, you know, just realizing our history. That's going to, you know, that could change like the whole perspective of Guam in a couple generations, you know, we'll have this, these two whole generations of people who are, you know, who realize these histories and would have a better understanding of where we need to go from here. But like, you know, like, um, you know, for many of us as adults learning it, you know, sometimes we reject it a lot, you know, sometimes, it, you know, you can, it easily resonates with you because you can see growing up in your life, that yes, this is true, these things happen, yes, this is an obstacle, and, you know, these issues might be because of, you know, this situation we're in, you know, but then a lot of others too, though, you know, so engulfed in our daily lives, you know, they just, mm. you know, can't really stop and really have, you know, spend time to think about what's going on, you know, they just need to carry on, but mm -hmm. it's very important, and, you know, that's why I think we need to start, you know, educating the kids more at the primary school level, you know? This this topic comes up a lot in my family, you know, because something that we hear um, more, I think, more recently is that I'm, I'm not... I'm not aware of self-determination. I don't know too much about it. And so people get hesitant, right, to engage in the conversation or to attend events like the march. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, at the same time, we also have to step back and say, is this, is the information we're putting out there accessible, or even just the word self-determination, sovereignty, this has been brought up time and time again, but is that accessible to our families? Yeah, people are consumed about the day-to-day um, just trying to put food on the table, right? But how are we making it more accessible? Um, I think just in being in the planning group, we've seen a lot of creativity, um, ways that you know people are thinking about how we can make it more accessible from like one one page uh, handouts, right? Simplifying yeah. the language a bit, right. or using um, um, other languages, right, in, on the flyers so that you know. Can um, see their languages obviously reflected in the movement or, or valued by people in this movement. Mm -hmm. So I think there's just yeah, a lot of uh, creative ideas. Right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's no, great. And sorry if you haven't noticed, we um, are here today supported by the United Nations. <laughs> you know, we get full throttle support for um, self determination on Guam. And uh, yeah, let's try to lively up ourselves a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, I was really nervous though at the at the conference yesterday. That is a nerve-wracking experience. Yeah, I, I will admit that. And, I, um, yeah. I think for me though, it's um, 
it's nice to just be in that space to see uh, how people who have been in the game longer or who are, you know, much more mm-hmm. used to that, that like, kind of uh, setup, uh, do their thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just seeing how, like, calm, and, you know, like Underwood was, and yeah. it's just, just be Dr. Underwood and, and just learning from that, right? Mm-hmm. Feeding mm-hmm. off of that energy and saying, you know what? some point in time we need to carry that conversation right, right. so big shoes to fill yeah, you gotta what? just dive in and <laughs> try to keep up with them. what did they say do it to it mm-hmm. i guess and that's why marches and activities and events like this are important to reach out and get people educated aware of what, most important aware of what's going on so so that they can um you know help bring the community together. Uh, you mentioned for the youth, because they're gonna be the future standing bearers of this if, for whatever reason, the decolonization process doesn't happen in our time. So it's really, yeah, the educational aspect to it that you described is very important, I would say. Yeah. It's been a heavy topic for my family, and so I don't know how other families are, are addressing it or how they're trying to bring awareness to the to the margin theres but at least within my family it started with the uh, solidarity wave right? Mauna Kea mm-hmm. um, event and so that just got the, the kids in my family talking and now this next event's coming up and so I think slowly you know it, it's the, the the kids who are curious about what's going on they're starting to ask their parents questions and so their parents you know are, are sort of uh, pressured to sit down and say, okay, let me open up this article, mm-hmm. let me read it, let me process it, let me look at these, some, some of these flyers that are maybe being forwarded to me, and um, so I can, uh, you know, disseminate that info to my to my children. Mm-hmm. And so it's a slow process in my mind, but it's, it's there's certainly been, um, I think, positive developments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. And- yeah, and, and that's going to be key, too. You know, I thought about sending some of the flyers to, like, have my nieces pass them out at their school so that they can bring them home to, to their parents, and the parents can ask them, what's this about? And then maybe they could start that conversation. But we really do want to get the families heavily involved in this. You know, um, Santas's for Tremol's self-determination, Mitchell's for it, Chargaloff's, Clemena's for Tremol's self-determination. Par, you got you got it, Nancy? <laughs> thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and um, yeah, and um, just to you know, just to give out that same information again, the march is going to be on September second, mm-hmm. Labor Day. We're going to gather at Adelup at eight o'clock, you know, or you know, eight o'clock, and then we're going to march sharp at nine a.m. Mm-hmm. to the district court, uh, yell, "Give us free!" And then we're going to march back. <laughs> we're going to march back and then have a little post rally. And um, we're trying to gather as many people as possible, man. And we'd really appreciate it if as many people as possible could show up on Labor Day. Spread the football. word. Tell Ungen, please. Family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, coworkers. Right. Everyone you know. And we'll, um, we'll post the, we should probably post the picture on the comment section just to keep oh, it out. The picture. Oh, we're, we're, we're getting, oh, there it is, right there. Um, we do have some comments. Yeah, from Ed, Leon Garo, Jesse looking fresh. Eh? Oh. <laughs> on a shirt today. <laughs> uh, just came on. Viva, my faves, up on the mic today. Jesse. Hi, Joe. Uh, sending uh, love from so Guam. <laughs> and then we also have a 
Okay. Sure. Alyssa will definitely handle these. I'll just get I'll go first. So there's one question was, uh, what was the thought process behind using the word um, well, at our, I think it was our second planning meeting, right? We're thinking of how to frame it. Obviously, we, we all agreed that we want this to come off as a very inclusive event. And um, we asked uh, the attendees what um, words they felt should be in the name of right, the march. And there were many great words that were passed. But, but then this, the conversation shifted to, should there be a tomorrow word in it? Um, we agreed, and then there were some uh, recommendations from Panogi to Fakmata, mm-hmm. um, was it Lukau, right? A bunch of Lukau. others. Um, but we felt, and I think it was between um, Fakmata and Fanogi. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fanogi was was chosen because uh, we felt that uh, you know the. the but the public you know, is familiar with the word, maybe as opposed to something like Fekmata, right? Because of you know the Fanogi Tomoru, and you know, you've probably seen it, you know, plastered in other places. So uh, that's why we chose Fanogi. Yeah. And, and if, just for those of you who don't know, of course, um, Fanogi is the plural form of Togi, which means stand. So Fanogi, all stand, not all rise. You know, that, that could be what it means, but all stand, right? Stand, all of you, and that's. What we want to do, right? We want us to all stand, you know, and <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> Sing it louder. Yeah. And then, um, um, also, another question is um, how does the David Davis ruling change self determination of all? I think just to echo uh, Dr. Underwood, it, it, I think it helps in bringing more attention mm-hmm. to the issue, mm-hmm. right? giving more exposure. Um, I wouldn't say it, it helps in terms of like furthering um, the process, the, the, process, the process and allowing for the plebiscite, obviously not, but yeah, for certainly for um, bringing awareness to it and maybe even um, hopefully gaining global attention, right. national yeah, attention. That, that there's the silver lining, is it, it, it can be seen as a catalyst get people to get up and get out there and uh, show their support, uh, raise their voices, their inputs. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. And that's, what's, and that's what it did, right? It exactly. was the catalyst for our march on September 2nd. And um, yeah, I think um, it's also you know, important to know or to realize that you know, the United States court system wasn't just going to give us you know, anything that easy, wasn't going wasn't gonna to do that for us. You know, the history of injustice against indigenous people, minorities too. So why would we expect in this, you know, in this day, I guess, to be any different? So I think we're always prepared for them to deny us at first. And then we always needed to use it as, you know, look at the silver linings aspect of it, and, um, that it would be a catalyst to get us to Finogi. Yeah, I think it's doing that for the most part. Do we have it? Do oh, we have another question? Do you guys want to see this one's more of a long question? Sure. Okay, sure. Uh, so it's, would self determination and Fanal come differently if Fanal had the same demographics as Fanal? Uh, same as how Fanal's are kind of a minority now. It's difficult to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can 
because Palau and Guam have a very different history in decolonization. Mm -hmm. um, we were never under the United States, so we didn't have to go through the framework of the United States Constitution to gain our independence. We were actually a trust territory uh, under the UN. So I would say, yeah, that's a difficult one. Even if the demographic makeup, I think, was more diverse, um, I mean, I think Palau would still have been able to come through their self-determination process because there was also there was there was people who were not Palau and who were also living in Palau mm -hmm. during the from World War II on. We have a lot of Japanese who stayed on and uh, Filipinos, Chinese. I think it would have I think it would have went the same course. Yeah, because um, we were going through United Nations law. Um, Can you remind me again what? Political status they chose. We chose free association. Free association, and and that isn't a. Would you say was that like a forever binding? You know, stuck to that political status, or do you think uh, that came with options? We actually have the authority to back out of the compact. Yeah. If we want, because there's a treaty between two countries. Mm -hmm. That's basically what it is. Yeah. But you have authority to back out of the contract. Right. So, you know, you're practically it's practically independence. It's it's independence in free association with the United yeah. States yeah. Yeah. through the compact of free association, the treaty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah. I wonder, um, he had another question here, right, about um, how do demographic shifts change the ability to self-determine? Is anybody familiar with um, what happened? I just in want to go back on that. Yeah. I think a an important point to make um, when we're talking about demographics and um, how Palau became independent. And the UN's um, view on self-determination is that the indigenous peoples of the colonized place should have the right to self-determination. Mm. That's a very important point I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah, so maybe that would have yeah. kind of changed the feel of his question, right? Because maybe demographics wouldn't have made a difference it because it would have still been the indigenous people right, yeah. who have the vote. Is anybody familiar with New Caledonia? Um, they had their referendum, I think, in 2018. Yeah. Uh, they were theirs was bound by the Numea Accord, mm -hmm. um, which restricted the voting to a certain uh, peoples mm -hmm. on their island. So yeah. Yeah. You know, with some, but I've read a, a couple articles that stated, you know, like, um, you know, talking about the demographic and the indigenous Kanak people, and then the, you know, of course, the settler French. Um, right. They had a guerrilla um, war population, mm -hmm. and um, it, I'm not sure if I get the numbers right, but I think 90% of the Kanaks, or in areas where the Kanaks, um, Kanaks, yeah, Kanaks, where they, um, where they lived, 90% of them voted for independence. Right. And um, but because of the high, um. Right, because what the French were doing, they were settling lots of their citizens mm -hmm. into New Caledonia. So it affected the vote, um, which was, it's not, that's yeah. against international law, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's what they did. Yeah. And do you guys, I mean, do you see that happening here? Or, you know, like um, with the Davis case, and, you know, that's kind of like what we're up against, you know, like mm -hmm. something like that where the indigenous people, you know, did not, you know, they voted for something, independence, but they did not get it. And um, is that kind of like um, the problem that we're presented now with, with the with that decision, with the Davis case? 
you know? You mean, yeah. How, like, you know, if the vote is opened up to everybody, mm -hmm. and we're not really gonna get the voice of what your morals might want. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Because people from the United States are going through. I think, again, just to echo Armenina, um, to echo what Dr. Underwood is saying, when you, when you do inform people about the history, mm -hmm. right, and you, and you do point to some of those um, historical moments or documents, or whatever, from the Treaty of Paris, right, to uh, the insular cases, to the Organic Act, and they realize how messy it is, or they, they see this sort of political review, um, then they begin to understand if they can understand and sort of step back and, and see that this is again a matter of restorative justice um, but yeah I mean the Davis issue certainly I think has opened more conversations about settler colonialism right, which is the phenomenon we're talking about um, and while that's a very sensitive topic um, and, and there's also some nuances we have to understand to the use of the word a settler or settler scholarship, right, on that topic. Mm -hmm. um, I think, though, it's, at least from what we, you know, IG, the work we're doing and, and the community that we're working with, we've seen how people have taken that term mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a sort of, not looking at it just solely as a divisive term, mm -hmm. separating the indigenous peoples from everyone else who just came, but seeing it as, redefining it as an identity of responsibility. And so, um, you know, and to, I think there, um, those those individuals, and you've seen some in perhaps some previous GAs, right? Um, other other teachings that we've done here. Yeah, Josephine, but Josephine, Rebecca, right? Kristen. Luke Davis. Yes. Um, so many. Right, and and also um, Senator Marsh too, who's been uh, reacting to some of Davis's comments. Mm -hmm. So. You know, they're definitely opening up conversations within their community. And so again, while um, it's a very heavy topic, it's also, I think, uh, moving in a certain direction. Uh, so again, our, the march is on September 2nd. Um, we have another planning meeting next Tuesday on August 20, 5.30, uh, here at UOG, the Humanities and Social Science Building, room 306. Um, we invite you to come to that. We are also thinking of perhaps having a sign-making event right prior to, obviously, the march that we can um, just get together for some, uh, you know, some creative uh, activities and, and make some signs for the march. Um, but for the march itself, as Jesse has said, it's going to be September 2nd. Uh, we are gathering at 8 so that we can be ready to march by 9. Mm -hmm. And then the rally will take place after at 10 o'clock. We're going to be marching from Adaloop to the district court and back. Um, something we again want to emphasize is that this is a nonpartisan um, event. It's inclusive and it's it's not a festival. It's a serious event. Okay, so you know uh, we we really hope that people can come in time uh, to start marching. Um, some of the things that we'll be talking about at the next planning meeting um, are. 
Um, in addition to a bunch of logistics, right, logistical concerns, um, we're looking for volunteers. So if you're interested in maybe helping with uh, crowd control or some sort of uh, maybe behind the scenes, uh, you know, tasks for the rally portion of the event, we'd love to have you and uh, hope that you can sign up for one of those tasks next uh, planning meeting. Yeah, for sure. And also, as far as, you know, logistical purposes and, you know, if there's anybody out there with you know, canopies or, or a PA system or, you know, some porta-potties, we'd be very, uh, we'd be very appreciated, uh, appreciative if you, you know, contact us and so we can, you know, yeah, we don't have any, like, main source of funding or we don't have any political backers, but, um, you know, even if some politicians, you know, if you could um, help us out, you know, you know, we know you guys know how to throw a campaign party, you know, for your people, so um, how about, come on, help us out, help all your people, if, you know. Right, it's happening to that, to the Tintu Let's get some of that. Yeah. Hey, thanks for showing us. And, um... Please uh, consider signing up as a um, patron on, on, on Patreon. Patreon. Uh, yeah, consider signing up as a patron on Patreon.com. Um, you know, different tier brackets. You get special gifts for whatever uh, tier you're in. Um, yeah, see the tiers, man. The tiers. What is? <laughs> we got the Hatsa Huguatulu. Yeah, we got three tiers. This is a caste system here, bro. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Patreon.com. So, Sizu Asma Sitatlu to all our supporters out there. Um, you could check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fanatsu. Um, and all the tiers are there with all the different plans with the um, Hugo tier, including the radical history, and then the Tulu tier, including the radical readings. Um, and with your continued support, we can improve the quality of our show, as we have with the new audio system here. Thank you again. And hopefully in the future, we can get our own MiFi um, to help with <laughs> the streaming quality. And again, Sizu Small Sitalu. Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing. Um, every island in Micronesia has had their chance at self-determination and decolonization, so I just want to have everyone just please come out and show your support so we can get Guam to have that same opportunity as well. Thanks, brother.